Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. And we are live this Sunday morning. Greetings, friends. It's Sunday, January 18th. Happy Lord's Day. Happy first Sunday of Lent. And uh, we're together to pray and to delve into the Word of God. I hope you're having a great weekend. And I'm getting ready to, to I'll be here today, the rest of today here. I got to do a lot of taping uh, because I'll be traveling all week and I'm heading tonight to Nashville. What I'll be doing this week, I'll be at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention uh, for the first three days of the week. And then at the CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, the latter half of the week. So National Religious Broadcasters will be in Nashville. CPAC will be up in the D.C. area. So I'm doing a lot of pre-taping of things I have to tape here in the studios. We'll obviously have our morning and evening broadcasts each day and uh, ask you to continue to help us uh, enlarge our online audience, which continues to grow. We are wanna, uh, going to want to pray for one another during this time, of course, so add your uh, prayer intentions. And uh, it's good to be live. I could see your comments as usual. Uh, and you know, I, 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 I want to increase the number of times I, I go live. We have a lot of fun together when we're live. And um, just uh, it, it requires a little maneuvering on my part of the, of the schedule and the calendar and the staff and whatnot. But, uh, but, but, but I'm going to work in that direction because I know that's what I prefer and I think a lot of you prefer that as well when we're able to especially uh, interact and talk about certain things and I take your questions and comments and uh, more of those live sessions, especially at night, would be, would be good. Let me know what you think and uh, that your input is always helpful. Okay, so let's put ourselves in the presence of the Lord and uh, look into this uh, reading from... Uh, St. Peter here for the uh, first Sunday of Lent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We thank you, Father, for this holy season of Lent. We thank you, Father, for the gift, it is a gift, of repentance. We do not presume on this gift. We do not sin now and, and say that you'll forgive us later. Because we don't know if we will repent later. We don't know if we will want to repent. We don't know if we will have the grace to repent. And so if now we can take hold of your grace, we are to repent now. Enable our whole society to repent, Lord God, of, of sin, falsehood. Let our society repent of embracing the sin of abortion. Let our society repent of embracing the the falsehood of transgender ideology. Let there be repentance, Lord, from the most powerful positions in society to the most humble. Let there be repentance. Let us now, as we delve into your word, understand it more deeply, live it more faithfully, and proclaim it more effectively. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. A reading from the first letter of St. Peter. Beloved, Christ suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that He might lead you to God. Put to death in the flesh, He was brought to life in the Spirit, 
In it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison, who had once been disobedient, while God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. This prefigured baptism, which saves you now. It is not a renewal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lent, my friends, is a baptismal season. That's the point I want to drive home today and and talk about its its implications and its prefiguring in the scriptures. Lent is a baptismal season. First of all, you've got an entire group of people called the catechumens, and we'll pray for them today. We should pray for them each day of Lent. You might hear them mentioned in the prayers of the faithful at uh, church. You might even see some ceremonies at your church today, which... uh, Uh, is called the rite of election, where those that are going to be, I was just with somebody last night who's in this category, those who are going to be baptized at Easter will come forward and and officially sign in, so to speak. It's a a ritual that symbolizes them being called by God to receive the new life of baptism. And you'll see other ceremonies during these subsequent Sundays of Lent that revolve around this, this rite of Christian initiation of adults, as it's called, RCIA, the, uh, the, the program by which the church welcomes at Easter those who want to receive a full communion with the church, the sacraments, baptism, confirmation, communion. And the rest of us who are already baptized, Lent is a season where we're preparing to renew the vows of our baptism. You can understand everything we do in Lent in the context of baptism. We're preparing Lent is obviously a preparation for celebrating the Paschal mystery with mind and heart renewed. So it's getting ready to celebrate the greatest events of human history. Good Friday, Holy Saturday, or Easter Sunday. But we're preparing to renew our baptism. If you think about what happens at Mass on Easter Sunday, you will recall that that's the Sunday that we renew the vows of our baptism where the priest actually asks us Do you renounce Satan? Do you renounce all his works? Do you renounce all his empty promises? Do you refuse to be enslaved by sin? And then, having rejected sin, and in the early church they used to ask the person this question while they were facing to the West, as though the West was a symbol of of the evil, no offense to those out West, facing East, you know, you're facing the, the sunrise, the coming of Christ from the East, representing turning to what is good. Um, There's no teaching of the church, by the way, that says Western things are bad and Eastern things are good. Uh, Not at all. It's just a a liturgical symbolism that that we see in in our history. And it's dramatic because, you know, over here, on the one hand, I'm going to reject sin. I'm going to reject all the devil's lies. Here, on the other hand, then the person turns around and they're asked, and we will be asked the questions, do you believe in God, the Father? Do you believe in Jesus? The Son who died and rose, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the church? These are the vows of baptism. If we were baptized as babies, we weren't able to answer or understand these questions. That's why we have the godparents there who answered for us. Brothers and sisters, 
Lent is preparing us to renew the vows of our baptism because Lent is getting ready for us to celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. And baptism does what? It immerses us into the death and resurrection of Christ. Death and resurrection of Christ took place a long time ago and, and in a far-off land, but we are connected with it. We are immersed in it. Paul talks about this uh, very clearly in his letter to the Romans. Don't you realize you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we, our baptism points to Good Friday. We were baptized into his death and united with him in his death. So shall we be united with him in a like resurrection. This is the power of baptism. It gives us supernatural life. Here's what happens. God looks at us through the lens. You could say it this way. When you're baptized, God puts on glasses. We don't think of God as wearing glasses. There's nothing wrong with God. He's perfect, so He doesn't need glasses. To, see, right now, you're blurry. This camera's blurry. We need glasses. Most of you probably wear glasses, at least for certain occasions. God puts, if you can think for a moment of God putting on glasses, when you're baptized, God now looks at you through new glasses, which are the lens of the death and resurrection of Christ. He's looking at you and he's saying now, you died on the cross. You offered the perfect sacrifice for sins. You rose from the dead. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what, I, what I'm saying. Obviously, it's only Christ Jesus who can make up for our sins. But what we're saying is a, a biblical truth that we have been now united with Christ in His death and resurrection. So God is pouring out on us all the fruits that are obtained only through Jesus Christ, the only Savior, the only mediator between God and the human family. But the point is that we're taken up into that. It's not just an historical event that we remember. Too many people look at Christianity, too many people look at the events of Scripture as things that happened in the past that we remember and we learn from and we imitate and we celebrate. That's true, but it doesn't go far enough to express the reality. The reality is we're immersed in those events and those events have a power here, now, and today and that power changes us, raises us up beyond our ordinary human abilities. We're able to believe and hope and love in ways that surpass human strength. We're able to conquer death and rise again with Christ. These central events of human history that we call the Paschal Mystery, the Easter Mystery, death and resurrection of Christ, are the events that give meaning to our baptism and therefore, the season when we prepare to celebrate those events is the season when we're celebrating baptism, we're renewing the vows of our baptism. If in baptism we promised to turn away from sin, that's why at the beginning of Lent we are told, turn away from sin. This is why when the ashes are placed on us, what does the priest say? Turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel. Now, you can also say you are dust, and to dust we shall, you shall return. But the purpose is the same. He's reminding us in a sober way, sin has affected us. It has brought about death. But because the ashes of death are put on us in the symbol of a cross, 
that reminds us that that sin and that death have been conquered in the cross of Christ. Again, the great event for which we are preparing to celebrate in Lent, and therefore it's a baptismal season. Now, Scripture interprets Scripture. And this Scripture passage we just read from 1 Peter 3 is an explicit example of that. Scripture interprets Scripture also implicitly. That's why when you read the Bible, if you go down to see where the footnotes are, you know, you may read a little verse and then your little, little superscript that says A, and you can look down and there was A, O, and it re mentions one, two, three, four, five other passages in other parts of the Bible. Read the Bible that way where you pause, you go down and you see what the other references are, and then you go back to those pages and you read those other passages. Bibles are, you know, prepared in different ways, and some of them have more footnotes than others, but those kind of footnotes are very, very helpful, those cross-references. Because, because what you'll see, like for example in today's reading, when it says, God patiently waited in the days of Noah, this prefigured baptism which saves you now, then it'll have a little reference back to the exact place where you read about Noah's ark. Notice what happened. The people were saved through water. What was the water of the flood doing? What was the purpose of it? Purification. God saw the sin of the world. He wanted humanity to continue, but He didn't want the sinfulness to engulf humanity. He cleansed the earth. Those people were saved through water. Water, therefore, that saving of people through water, Scripture itself now is interpreting Scripture. Because we can look at that Scripture of the Noah's Ark in and of itself and say, this is pointing to Christ, this is prefiguring Christ, this is prefiguring baptism. But here now, the Word of God itself tells us what the Word of God means in another place. And he, Peter says here, it, this, this building of the Ark and flooding of the earth, prefigured baptism which saves you now. By the way, we should make another little point here. Jesus saves us. Some of our friends in other denominations, and I know we have uh, uh, viewers here who are from across the body of Christ. We welcome everybody. But there are different teachings in different denominations about baptism. Understand, we in the Catholic community, it is only Jesus and only Jesus who saves us. This is absolutely no question about that. Absolutely no compromising that. No obscuring that. And when we therefore talk about the power of baptism, we're talking about it the same way that Scripture says it. I mean, Peter says it right here. This baptism saves you now. Does he mean Jesus doesn't? No. He means Jesus is saving you through baptism. It's always the action of Jesus. We don't disagree that it's only Jesus who saves us. We might disagree about what tools he uses, but it's a disagreement about the tools, not the user of the tools. So, and, and I hope that's helpful for you, those of you who are Catholic and who might be having these discussions with friends from other denominations. Don't, 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 uh, uh, don't let them have the impression that, that we think that so, somehow it's, it's some other path other than, other than Jesus. Okay. But I want to touch on a couple of other scriptures that talk about this power of water prefiguring baptism. You, in fact, let me ask you to think about this. Which events in Scripture also, like the flood and Noah's Ark, prefigure baptism, prefigure the powerful, cleansing, saving action of water that God knew from all eternity 
would be promised by Christ. You must be born again of water and the Holy Spirit. And then we see in the Acts of the Apostles, we see them. They're not just preaching, but people are accepting the word in faith. And then what do they do? It's very clear in the Scripture. They get baptized. What other events in Scripture, I'm talking about the Old Testament now, do we see water powerfully telling us that it's going to save us, it's going to wash away sin, it's going to destroy the enemy? Which ones? Think about it for a moment. And we're going to go to those and we're going to, and we're going to read from them. What's the first one? Obviously the, the Red Sea, right? So, so in Exodus chapter 14, then Moses stretched his hand over the sea. Of course, first of all, he, opened, he lifted up his staff and God opened the sea. And they went through because they were coming out of slavery from Egypt. But then the Pharaoh's army changed its mind. They came after them again. So in order not to be captured by the enemy and brought back into slavery, God opened up the sea and they walked through. Then that wasn't the end of the story. Okay, the waters were divided. The Israelites went through its midst. Okay, the Egyptians pursued. Here's where I want to pick up. Verse 23. So they go into the sea. They cross over dry land. And then it says, The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch. Now here's the saving through water. Here it is. In the morning watch. The Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And we're going to keep on reading this, but, but notice, we, we often don't talk about both sides of the equation. We talk about the Red Sea opening, but just as significant, biblically, is the Red Sea closing. Let's continue reading. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The water drowned the enemy. Saving the people from the slavery. Now, the slavery in Egypt represents sin. The, 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 the destruction of their slaveholders represents the destruction of the bonds that hold us in sin. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. We are freed through the waters of baptism. Again, it's Christ who's freeing us, but this is the tool he's using. And then... What's another scripture that is the power of, of water? I'm thinking about the prophet Ezekiel. 47, chapter 47, we read this. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, 
So the prophet is being shown this by the angel of God. He brought me back to the, the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate. Behold, the water was trickling on the south side. And then, okay, let me go down and skip a little bit. He measured a thousand and he led me through the water and it was now waist deep. Again, he weathered, first it was knee deep, then it was, first it was ankle deep, then it was knee deep. He led me through the water, it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand. It was a, now a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough in, to swim in. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And then, and then the angel said, This water flows through the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea... The water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So that everything will live where the river grows. And then going down a little bit further. On the banks on both sides of the river there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither. Notice this now, those of you that know nature or or agriculture, notice this, their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. When do trees usually bear fresh fruit? Isn't it like every year? They will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. One more point. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Life. Cleansing, healing. What does Jesus do to us through his death and resurrection? What does Jesus do to us when the power of his death and resurrection flow over us in baptism? This is exactly what he does. Gives us healing. Gives us life. Gives us cleansing from sin. By the way, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible draws heavily from this book of the prophet Ezekiel. If you're doing scripture study on your own, keep that connection in mind. And if you read the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation together, you're going to see a lot of imagery that is borrowed and a lot of prophecy from Ezekiel that is amplified and revealed in Revelation. But I want to go to there here to this very last book of the Bible, because when St. John, who was writing this book, looks and sees the heavenly Jerusalem, listen to this, listen to how the last chapter of the Bible begins. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each, what do you think it says? Each year or each month? Yielding its fruit each month. And then listen what it says. This is the book of Revelation. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the river that John saw in heaven, in the heavenly Jerusalem, 
is flowing from the throne of God. The river in Ezekiel is flowing from the temple. It represents the same thing. It represents Jesus. He said his body is the temple. Destroy this temple in three days. I will build it up. St. Peter says we're members, living stones in the temple of the church. This is where the water is flowing from the temple, just like it flowed from the side of Christ hanging on the cross. Blood and water flowed out. The symbols of Eucharist and baptism. And the healing, the healing of the nations. So when we read this letter from St. Peter here, this is why this letter, this is why this reading is happening today, is being proclaimed in churches throughout the world today. The water, this prefigured baptism, these persons were saved through water, this prefigured baptism which saves you now, it is not a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we're celebrating Lent. Clear conscience. Turn away from sin. Be faithful to the gospel. Give up something for Lent. Do, do discipline. Have discipline. Pray more. Read the word of God more. Commit yourself more to the service of others. And we incorporate that into that, especially service to the weakest, service to those who need service the most. The children, the children in the womb. Let's pray that the waters of baptism will wash away not only our own sins, but our communal sins. Let's pray for a powerful Lent where the waters of, of God's truth and life will wash away abortion from our midst. Let's pray for that. And let's pray now for one another. Father, we come to you. We have been cleansed in the waters of baptism and we praise you for that. We now pray for one another that the, the gifts bestowed in, in baptism may, may, may blossom fully, that we may utilize those spiritual gifts fully, that we may grow in faith and hope and love, that we may truly be the people of life because the people of life were born of baptism, were born at the cross. We thank you, Lord God, for this tremendous gift. And, and we ask that now your blessings that flow from this, this water, of this saving water of, of baptism, the scripture tells us, flows from you, Lord God, from your throne, from your temple, from your side. We pray that it may bring us the answer to all our prayers. If we're praying for health, let these waters heal us. If we're praying for forgiveness, let these waters Bring us that forgiveness. If we're praying for discernment, let these waters clarify our, our minds and hearts to make the right decisions. If we're praying for consolation, may these waters wash away our sorrows. If we're praying for strength, may the water strengthen us. If we're thirsting for justice, may the waters quench that thirst. If we're praying for an end to abortion, and an end to the other evils in the world, may that water wash away those evils. We pray for salvation. May this water deepen your life within us. We pray for one another, Lord, all our intentions, whatever they may be. We pray for the catechumens of the church. May they thirst for the living water more and more each day, and may they be blessed as they are baptized this Easter. And now we pray together the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray to our Heavenly Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Well, thanks, friends. Great to be with you. As I told you, I will be traveling starting tonight, Nashville tonight, National Religious Broadcasters Conference. I'll be saying hello to thousands of religious broadcasters around the country, and of course, we're one of them. So I'll be making a lot of good connections there, doing a lot of media. And then Wednesday night, I'll head from Nashville to D.C., take part in CPAC. President Trump will be at both events. I'll be able to see him uh, during the events of this week and hear his message, which will be a strong message of encouragement, both to the religious broadcasters and also to the political activists. That'll be at CPAC. Maybe I'll see some of you uh, at these events. Let me know if, you're, uh, if you happen to be coming to either one of those. And then we will we'll be continuing our scriptures. Of course, I'll be pre-taping those. And uh, so keep sticking with us each day and bringing others into our online audience. Thanks for what you do. I'm going to play a little message from Abby Johnson here in a moment. And uh, thanks for being part of Priest for Life. We'll talk to you soon. Happy Lord's Day. Hello, this is Abby Johnson of Unplanned the Movie. You know me as a longtime supporter of Priest for Life and of Father Frank Pavone. And I just want to encourage you as someone who knows of the great work of this organization, please continue to stand strong. Please continue to support this mission. It is so needed now more than ever. Thank you so much for all of your support. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.